0: to say, I never know what they're going to be, Father. I have an outline, but Lord, I don't seem to always follow that. Lord, you change things sometimes as I go along. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as a church body, Father, as your sheep. Father, that in the text, Lord, today, we would come out of here praising you and edifying one another. Lord, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the verses, the passages that you show me, Father. I'm grateful, Lord, that we can proclaim this from a pulpit, Father, in this land still, Father. I ask that you would open our minds this morning, our hearts, to hear you speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, picking up in verse 9, we'll go to verse 12. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. There's a challenge for us today as we go to the text. Now, let's just start out with that by going to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. That verse in 1 John, 1 John you know is a book about how to love the brethren. It's really an affirmation of whether you're a real believer or not. That You can align your walk with the book of 1 John. First John three fourteen says, We know that we have passed from death to life. In other words, I know I'm saved. I know that I have eternal life. I know that I have a relationship with Christ, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. We also could go, since we're there in first John turn over to chapter four there, verses seven and eight. That passage says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. So how do I know if I'm born a born-again believer? I'm a new creation in Christ, because I love the brethren. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. I have a relationship with him, and part of that is shown by our love for one another. He does not love, does not know God, for God is what? He's love. Now, if you notice in chapter 4 in our text, verse 9, God himself has taught us to love one another. We know what we're supposed to do. We know how to love one another. We're shown in Scripture that love is a very practical practical element of the whole Christian walk. And so there are actions that we can do to show each other we love one another. There's things we can say. There's things we do. But there's also actions that can impede our love for one another. I want to address those this morning before I go back to the text here. You know, I think about hindering somebody's or hindering our own love or or a brother's love for us. You can put stumbling blocks before the brethren. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 2 here. You ever put a stumbling block before a brother? You may not know you did it, but it is possible. But you look at a passage like here, First John chapter two, and look at verse ten. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Right, you look at verse eleven there. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So John tells us that a loving loving our brother means we don't put a stumbling block before them. We don't give occasion for stumbling. If we put a stumbling block before our brother, then John says, look at verse 11, but he who what? Hates his brother. If I'm in the practice of putting stumbling blocks before my brother, I really show I hate him. I don't love him. If I want him to stumble and I desire to bring out points where he doesn't do things well or she doesn't do things well, I can't say I love the brother, and I actually hate the brother. So I have to be very careful With my conduct. Balaam was condemned for putting an occasion of stumbling before the children of Israel. If you remember back in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put what? A stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So here's a, here's a man who has taught somebody else to put a stumbling block before them to cause them to weaken in their faith or to stumble or to fall. So Paul, writing to the Philippians, go to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10 there. Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Here he's saying the same things to the Philippians as he says to those in Thessalonica. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and void of offense. Now look at that. Void of offense unto the day of Christ. Now notice Paul prayed here in this text that their love would abound for one another. Much like what he was, as I said, he's in, b- back in 1 Thessalon- Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 3, he would say, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God the Father. He would say in chapter 3, verse 12, And may the Lord make you in- increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Chapters 4, uh, when we get where we are, he's saying the same thing. So Paul seems to say a big thing about Christian fellowship is love for one another. But you'll notice here in this Philippians text that it is with the hope that they would approve the things that are excellent, to be sincere in their walk and be void of offense. Now, I looked at that th- this week. That Greek for void of offense means it's it's apro aproskopos, and it means to lead into sin or to cause to stumble. So let me read that verse again out of Philippians. It says, "And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and void of offense or void of causing one to stumble, you could say it that way, until the day of Christ. So notice, get what Paul's saying here. My prayer for you is that you grow in your love for one another. And in doing so, you're going to increase even in your knowledge. And you're going to be better in your discernment. And you'll approve the things that are pleasing to God, things that are excellent. And in doing so, your faith will be sincere. And in doing so, you won't ever be putting a stumbling block in front of a brother. Paul recognized that, We don't desire our brother's salvation when we put an offense before him. We really don't care about them if we're putting a stumbling block before them. We really don't care if they're growing in the Lord if we put stumbling blocks before them. We really don't care at all about them if we're doing things that would cause them to stumble. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Go there. Verses 32 and 33. And here it says, give none offense or give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, being the Gentiles, or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So this is what Paul says. I, this, I don't put stumbling blocks in front of people. What's Paul's goal with the church? I don't give an offense. I don't cause an offense. I don't want to be an offense. To the Jews or to the Greeks, or the Jews or the Gentiles, or to the church of God. I want to be pleasing in all things, not seeking my own profit, but to the profit of many that they may be saved. So look look at Paul's heart there. I'm not doing anything that would weaken a brother. I'm doing everything to strengthen a brother so that he may be saved. When we can hinder ourselves from loving our own brother when we put a stumbling block before them. Or, number two... When we serve self instead of our brethren. How many of this are in the Christianity for your own self? How many are in it for the brethren? Some of say, well, I'm just in it to get saved and go to heaven. Well, no, I'm sorry. That's not what it's about. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at the first four verses there. Paul would write to the Philippians. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Okay, selfish ambition also translates to strife. So don't let things be done in strife. Or conceit, which is vainglory. I think your Bible might say vainglory, some of it. You know what vainglory is? That's worthless glory of self. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is Paul's desire. This is his prayer life for the Philippian church. Folks, most people go to church because it's about them. It's not about others. It's about what's in it for me. It's our culture. We've been taught that. We are so much, we don't even realize that we've been so desensitized to the whole entertainment package that I can't even go to church you can't go to church without being entertained and it's the pastor's job to make me feel good about myself I have to feel good I have to be emotionally wound up and that's not the pastor's job sometimes my job is to hit you with a rod because I do it to myself now Paul desires that his joy is notice this his joy is fulfilled by the brethren's love for one another Right? This means nothing is to be done through strife. How many like strife? Who likes strife? Who's selfish here? If you're, if you're in it for selfish ambition, then you like strife. And where there's strife, there's every evil work. Vainglory. How, how many are conceited? Your Christianity is all about you. And it's vain worship of yourself is really what it is. And that word, mean, you know, vain, means worthless. But Paul wants us to, this is, the, this is the attitude I'm supposed to have in the body of Christ, as a member of the body of Christ. I'm supposed to, in all lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do you treat the body here at and Bible Church as those people are better than you? I'm not in this to be served. Is that my attitude or is it I'm coming to serve? You know, it means that each esteem others better than themselves. It means that we don't look to self first all the time. You know, when people see this kind of love in the body of Christ, that brings them joy, but also br- they know what? What's the sign that we're disciples of Christ? It has nothing to do with how many Bible studies we go to. It has nothing to do what I do outside the walls of, of the church or I'm a philanthropist whatever you know, the giving all the time. It has to do with the love for the brother. And that's how the world knows that there's real Christians there. Now, selfishness is the first step towards hating your brother. You go to 1 John chapter 3. Follow me over there to 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. That's where we're headed. 1 John 3, 11 and 12. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should what? Love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. If you look at that context there, selfishness is the first step towards hating your brother. The, Cain was, in, into his worship, it was all about Cain. It wasn't about God, and it wasn't about his brother. It was about him. That's why he got jealous. That's why he got God jealous. You know, must love Abel more than he loves me. So John tells us that Cain slew Abel because of jealousy. Jealousy has its roots where? In selfishness. And John speaks about a very selfish kind of love in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. Go to 16 and 18 here. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, it can't. So God's love for us is our first and foremost example of what true love really is. And if God was selfless... In giving his only son for our sins, then then we should be selfless in in relationship to loving our brethren as well. If he would give up his life for us, we ought to give up our life for the brethren. This means laying down our life. I don't have to be first. It's not about me. I don't go to Ratham Bible Church for me. It's, I go for them. I go for him. I go for her. I stay active because of them. Boy, if, just think if people had that mindset about what church is. So it means giving our brothers what they need in this life. Now, let me ask the question. Why do you come to church? Now, don't answer that, but just think about it. Why are you here? Why do you come to church? Do you come to RBC to serve here, or do you come to be served? Now, let me ask you, are you active in the church if you're not active in this church, you're coming to be served. I'm sorry that's if I step on toes there. You should be active in the church. That's why God gifted you. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we go into chapter 13 and we go all through that text, that's all about conduct in the body of Christ. The passage that Dirk read this morning is about how believers are supposed to be in context. And God gave us each a gift to serve in the body of Christ. To serve, not myself, but to serve others. The question is then, why are you here? Well, pastor, I'm here till I find a better church. Well, fine, there's only one church. There's just places of fellowship. If you're not comfortable here with the word and how it's done, then move on. But don't move from church to church to church to church to be in the pew. Serve. You were called to be part of something huge. You be active in the church. If it's cooking meals, that's what your gift is, then start cooking meals. Don't wait for me to tell you to find a family that you can just bless with a meal. Just bless them with a meal. If your gift is encouragement, start encouraging people. You don't need ministries to do this. We have a ministry. You just take your gift and use it. If you're gifted musically, then why aren't you here? God didn't give that so you can play it in a tavern or just. Really. He gives you gifts so you can invest them in the body of Christ. You follow me? You're called here to serve. But so many people in our culture have got the idea in their brain that I gotta find a church that makes me feel good. I got a church that I gotta find that serves me well. And I'll tell you what. We'll never see revival with that kind of heart. The, the verse that, and Dirk, I didn't tell him to read that, but here's the next verse. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, along with Romans 8, those, that's also called that. Starting, let's see, let's start in verse, let's start in verse 4 or 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love it profits me nothing love suffers long now again if you look at the context this whole passage is sitting in it's be it's talking about our relationship in the body so if it says love suffers long he's talking about how you treat a brother love suffers long and we use it for weddings we use the verse A lot for just talking about a definition of love. But in context, I'm telling you where that sits. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not prate itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, and rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails the brethren. That's the kind of love you ought to have for the body of Christ, the church, the membership of the body. Now, this passage sits, of course, in that scripture that speaks to Christians' conduct. But the principles of these verses are enough to cause a revival in most churches. If we just did that, if we just did that, revival would break out. But we don't know, we can't we, we we're all in most people are into Christianity for themselves, not for the body. We want to be noticed, we want to be somebody, we want to have this title, we want to do this, we want to do that. Folks, you gave that up when you sold the pink slip to your rights. When you gave them a believer, it's not about you anymore. It's about him. So we're not to love fellow church members because they're lovable. We're uh, we're we're to love the unlovable as well. And we're not to pray for or encourage, you know, we're, we're not, I guess, to pray for or encourage the elders, deacons, or parishioners just because they are doing what we like. We're to pray for and encourage them when they do the things we don't like. We're not to serve the church only when others are joining in, we're to serve the church even if we are alone in doing so. Church membership is really founded on love, authentic, biblical, unconditional love. So let's go to Galatians because one of the things we haven't learned is we still bite and devour the brethren. That's number three. Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 and 14 says, for you brethren... Have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Now what? how do we serve one another? Through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another. Beware lest you be consumed by one another. So what happens to a church body that just bites and devours all the time? Where they're not really loving each other, they're looking for faults, or they want to gossip, or they want to say things about one another. What's going to happen to that church? It will devour itself. We are to, by love, serve. And that means we're to enslave ourselves to service. We're to enslave ourselves to one another. When you talk about serving the brethren, I become a slave to you. Now, our culture wouldn't understand what I'm talking about about when I say that. I endear myself to you. I want to make sure that you are growing. Loving our neighbor at least includes loving our brother. And the Bible says love your neighbor as what? How, how, do you love yourself? Sometimes? No, no, that's a Oh, Pastor Dan, the reason I don't love my neighbor is because I can't stand myself. No, that's <laughs> not how it works, right? <laughs> Think of what you would do for yourself to ensure that you were happy today. What would you do for yourself that your needs were met today? What would you do to, for yourself to make sure that you feel good today, that you were edified today? Would you do that for the brethren, for your neighbor? That's the whole point there. Sabbath is in contrast to love. there There's more biting and devouring than there is loving one another. By the way, those words are used to describe wild animals fighting with each other. If you bite and devour one another, beware. That's the words they use for wild animals consuming one another. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. God says, they say in Scripture, if we act like that, we act like wild animals. 1 Corinthians 3 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal or fleshly people. It's your sin nature. I can't even talk to you like you're mature. I have to talk to you like you're carnal. As to what? Babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. For you are all still carnal, for where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Aren't you no different than a wild animal? Whenever there's strife or division in a church body, whenever the love for the brethren is not there, God says, you're no different than a wild beast. Now, where envy and strife and division exists among brethren, that's carnality. Let's go to the book of James. James chapter 3, to be specific. Let's go verses 14 to 18. So James 3, 14 to 18. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, and we've been talking about that, difference between that and loving the brethren, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now imagine a church that just is biting one another or uh, is is operating out of envy or self-seeking. They're not really loving the brethren. What's happening in that church body? Every evil thing is there. Now just think about that for a minute. Envy and strife only results in confusion and evil works. Okay, And one cannot be part of such things and love his brother at the same time. It's an impossibility. I can't be a church that does those things and say I love my brother because it's not true. So the fourth thing we do, not only do we put stumbling blocks before our brethren that hinder our love for them, we, not only do we serve self instead of our brethren that hinders our love for them, and we bite and we devour our brethren. That hinders us from loving them. But we speak evil of our brothers. Number four, we gossip. Now look at what Ephesians 4, go there. Ephesians 4 and starting in verse 31, let's read to Ephesians five two. Let all bitterness, wrath, anybody here ever been bitter? Or bitter towards a brother or sister in Christ? Let all, what about wrath? You want You just want to rip their throat out. You're angry, anger, clamor. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. How, would, how does Jesus act around us? And walk in love, this is how he does it, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You want to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God? You want to walk in a way that pleases him? Then you love the brethren. You don't gossip about them. You don't tear them down with your mouth. You don't be bitter towards them or hold wrath against them or be anger or clamor, no evil speaking. Put that all away, even with its Malice. That's with the intent to harm. I say this. I do this because what I really want to do is hurt you. I want to hurt you in front of people. That's, he want, don't even do that. As a church, you can't love the brethren if that's in your heart. Now, walking in love means that we don't speak evil of our brother. Look at James 4. Go to James 4, verses 11 and 12. You say, Pastor, why are you telling all this? Because it's in our text this morning. That we should abound more in our love for one another. As we, as Jesus gets closer to coming, we should be falling more and more in love with one another. Amen? And I'm sorry that it's done this way, but persecution makes that happen. It, sh- it shouldn't. We should be doing this without that, but God will allow persecution to make us be here. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And what does that tell us? Do not speak evil of one another, Brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And again, what are we talking? Does that mean I can't be a judge on things? No, I judge things every day. This is wrong, that's right, right? We can judge things in the world, don't we? But I can't judge where you are with God. I can't assume things that may not be true. I can't, there's one judge and I'm not him. How should we speak to one another? With love. In love. Why? What's the purpose? Why do I have to, Father, why do you make me say that I have to treat my brethren like that in love and talk to them in certain ways and act in certain ways like I love them? Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Here's your job. And he himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers. You can even go as far as saying he's gifted even the church and all parts of the church for the equipping of the saints. By the way, what's a saint? Saint is another name for a set-apart one, a believer. It is not a person that does a miracle and then dies and you get to be put on a medal, okay? It has nothing to do with that. You are a saint if you are a believer in Christ. So, for the equipping of the saints, us, for the working of ministry, for the edifying of what? Okay, look at that. Look at that. Why do I have to speak to you in love? Why do I have to watch what I say? Why do I, my behavior should be about loving you and I should be abounding in that? Because my job is to edify the body. The job of a Christian is not to tear down a body. Every time we do that, you know what we're doing? Jesus, your bride sucks. Your bride is offensive to me. Your bride I don't like. I wonder how Jesus feels when we attack his bride. Because we're not supposed to do that. We're to edify the body of Christ till we all come to the, now here's a word, unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in what? Even when I speak, it better be true and it better be in love. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined in knit together by what every joint supplies. See, every joint, that would be you who are gifted in the body. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in, what's the last word? Love. Also, unity, the word there, unity, is vital to the health of a church. That means every church member, you and I included, must contribute to the unity of the church. We look at Ephesians 4, right, 1 through 3 there. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering. What's this? Bearing with one another in what? Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring. I mean, endeavoring means I work. I work, I work. I, 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 it's fervent desire. I, I'm burning to do this. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it goes on. You have a responsibility. You and I have a responsibility. As a church member of Ratham Bible, you are to be a source of unity. You are never to be a decisive force. You are to love your fellow church members unconditionally. And while that doesn't mean you agree with everyone all the time, it does mean you're willing to sacrifice your own preferences to keep unity in this body. And to do that, it requires we love one another. Now, go back to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay, All that is just working off of verse 9. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Who's our teacher? The Holy Spirit. And he, to- he tells us all through Scripture. I- and look at what we just shared this morning. We know we're supposed to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Let's just have a desire to, Lord, 2023, can we fall in love even more? You know, can we put uh, maybe the backbiting or the, uh, I I hear it all the time. There's a group group here and there's a group here and there's a group here and there's a group here. You know, you hear it because you're part of it. Well, oh, they're doing this, and they do that, and they don't do this, and they do that, and that person over here said this, and this person doesn't like that, and, Pastor, what are you going to do about that person who did this and that person who doesn't like that? And You know, I don't like the way the, the tree is in the corner of the church. Pastor, can you tell the person to put the tree there to move the tree? Pastor, I don't like that bush. Could you go tell them do we need to get rid of that bush and put a real bush in here? I don't like the color of the walls, Pastor. Can you tell the people who painted the walls they did a lousy job? Well, I don't like the, 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 the things that the church plans to do. I don't like all these things. Why did we name it this? Why did we name it that? Why do we have this potluck on that day? Pastor, can you tell the people that do potlucks that we don't like this kind of food coming here? You think I'm kidding? We're all guilty. Every one of us is guilty. And that's not his church. You weren't called here. To, so you didn't join the Elks Club. See, it's, it's like, and that's the way people, I, I hate to say this, but that's the way people look at church. Like, I joined this church, I give them my tithes, I pay for what I want. And because I give my tithes, I have certain expectations from the pastor on down that they must do this to perform well, or I'll move. Folks, where where'd that ever start to be the church? The church is, I got saved into something great, the body of Christ, and I love his word, and I I can't wait to get to church on Sunday morning so I can build somebody up with what I learned this week. That's the the church. The church is a bunch of people who are coming to serve. Some of us need to get off our gluteus maximus, our royal butt, and start doing things in the body. Not to earn salvation, but because you love one another. And it doesn't have to be a, a special ministry like with a big name. It's everyday life. Just a word of encouragement. But if we can't do that, look at, look at how Paul now tells the Thessalonian church how they should love one another. You want to see it here? All right. That you aspire to lead a quiet life. You want to love the brethren? Live a quiet life. What do I mean by that? What does that mean? To have an ambition or a desire for peaceful living, a quiet life which does not disturb others or attract the wrong kind of attention. So not being busybodies or gossips or meddlers in somebody else's affairs. Why should we desire to strive for such a life? Because we're told to. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans 12. You gotta love Paul when he's writing in the book of Romans. Right? So Romans 12. It's not a long read, but starting in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He looks at that as service to him. What does it say? Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is if it is possible... As much as depends on you or me, right? Look what he says, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and it goes on. Listen, I desire to strive for a life that is a quiet life because we're told to. And how do we obtain this quietness of life? Well, we can pray for it. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2? told us how to pray, 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, (coughs) for kings and all who are in authority. So let's just say all authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So I can certainly, Lord, help me. Help me to do this. But I need to aspire to lead a quiet life. A quiet life cannot exist unless we maintain a proper distinction between brotherly love, which is real concern, and becoming busybodies. has to be a difference. I can live a quiet life. I have enough problems with Dan's life. I don't need to tell you what's wrong with yours. Now, if it's something where I think I can come along you and edify you, then I'm going to do it out of love, right? That's the way it's supposed to be done. But I'm just not doing it because I want to make noise. What does he say here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? He says in our text, not only to lead a quiet life, but to mind your own business. What does that mean? It means mind your own business, okay? We have a society today that loves to mind the business of others. Social media has blown that up. And I, I don't get into a lot of the social media. I don't care what you ate for breakfast. And if you're taking pictures of yourself to post them every ten minutes, you got an issue. The Christian must tend to his own affairs. If you look over at Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses eleven and twelve, it says, Likewise. Their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their house and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain themselves good standing, great boldness in their faith. But it, in the context there, they're supposed to be, even the wives of deacons are supposed to be not slanderers, right? Mind your own business, busybodies are those who mind the business of others. Now, that does not mean we can't be involved in each one's lives. That means there's some things we just don't need to be in somebody's lives. Now, work with your own hands. Okay, that's a problem in our culture. But this is what Paul is telling the Thessalonian believers. Work with your own hands as we commanded you. What does that mean? It means to make accomplishments with one's own efforts towards the support of one's family and of those who are in need. So why do I need to work? Why do you need to work? Uh, Well, to to attend to the affairs of our life. But we work, what, to provide for our own. We're worse than an infidel, Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, if we don't provide for our own household. We're supposed to provide for our family. But what's another reason we're supposed to work We're with our own hands? So we have something to give to other people. If you look at Ephesians... Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 Ephesians 4:28 you'll see the verse that says let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need that goes along with our text here in verse 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 12 okay so we do do these things we're supposed to lead a quiet life, mind our own business, work with our own hands, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Why do we do all this? Because of that. People are watching. They're watching to see if we love one another. We're watching to see if we take care of one another. Now, just want to close with this. You are here to meet the needs of others. You're here to love the brethren. You're here to to serve others. You are here to give. You're here to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of the gospel and for the benefit of the church. That's what you're called to do. Let's work on that this year. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you for your word today, Lord. What a blessing. What so much to be said, Father. But Lord, I'm grateful that you called us into this body here at Rathrum. Lord, increase our love for one another. Lord, guard our tongue and our mind, Lord. Uh, Help us to mind our own business when we're supposed to. Help us to work with our own hands when we're supposed to, Father. Help us to lead a quiet life, Lord. Help us to, in all that, be here to edify one another, encourage one another, build up one another, love one another. Just like it tells us to do in in 1 Corinthians 13, Father. Maybe a look at that love chapter is something we should look at more and more, Father. But, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And just that we're in this place of scripture, even now as we start this year, Father. What a blessing, Father, it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ with like faith that we can love. And, Lord, I pray that you draw our hearts together in unity as the world gets worse and worse and worse, that this body will be drawn closer and closer and closer together.